live for another episode of First Strike. This is your host, KYT. But before I start the show, I'm going to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Uh, we just had our Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale. But look for some, some goodies uh, during the holidays, especially uh, Boxing Day. There's going to be tons of reason to check out FaceToFaceGames.com to, to save a lot if you're looking to buy a bunch of singles or, or uh, sealed product. Uh, with me on the show are two people that I bribe with face-to-face games caps to get on, and, and two people that met, maybe like became better friends on, on a tournament that, uh, in a tournament that doesn't exist anymore, the Super Sunday Series, <laughs> starting with GP Pittsburgh champion. It was Pittsburgh, right, Alex? Yep. I always say, like, I always shortcut it to the last Splinter Twin champion. That's how I hype you. Okay, Alex Bianchi in the chat. How's it going, Alex? It's going good. Good to be here. And someone that's been uh, added, I've added to the First Strike contributor team, uh, helping out with the sideboard guys that you see if you join First Strike Nation. And returning, uh, because I, I once again, I try to contact everyone that finished above him at SCG Syracuse. All said they were busy, so I have to ask him, you finished, what, what place did you finish again, Andy? <laughs> it, it, was, it was ninth or 10th. Ninth or 10th. There's a bottom on every list, okay? <laughs> well, we welcome Annie Rodrup, um in the chat again because, again, I, I wanted to get his take, especially with Team Canada's performance. He was on Team Canada before, and uh, we're going to break that down on you know, what we think and what they could do better to for future years because I, I actually think that uh, I always thought we were one of the best Magic playing country. And on paper, I keep thinking our teams are sick, but we keep underperforming. But before we talk about bad stuff and bad performances, let's start with something good. Uh, Face-to-Face Games had their first uh, Team Shields constructed tournament open this past weekend. And these fellas finished, both their teams finished in the top four. Um, and, and Alex, you told me that 53 teams showed up. That, that's a lot of players. That's over 150 players. So the tournament was a success. Did it feel like a success in the room? Did people feel like they, they were enjoying themselves? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it was actually like 56 teams, so it was even bigger than that. But, uh, yeah, I think team tournaments are always great, and this one in particular, formats. So, um, you know, your, your friends kind of got to play the format they like to play, which is kind of nice. Um, and so what did you do to prep? Did you just pick up a close group of friends? Here you go. You play Legacy. You play Standard. I'll play Modern. Like how did how did it go? Uh, I teamed with uh, two of my buddies, uh, Matt and Curtis, um, here here in Buffalo. Um, kind of like our legacy players, so it was kind of default to play legacy in the legacy seat. Um, and um, entered recently, and I was kind of I had a, a deck in mind going into it, so I wanted to, but uh, I ended up audibly at the last minute. Basically zero preparation as far as standard goes for me, but uh, yeah, it worked out. We ended up getting <laughs> second place. So, <laughs> okay. what about you, Annie? How much work did you put in? Uh, so we brought the team together. Uh, so our usual third with me and Devin is Kale, who was too busy playing the World Magic Cup or attending, and so we got brought aboard Spencer, and he always plays Affinity, and I also always play Affinity. 
So it was like really good to have like two people be able to like double team that deck. And then we had to trick someone into playing legacy and thankfully it wasn't me. And so I just got to play teamer and standard while Devin piloted Grixis Delver and legacy. So a little preparation. We talked about deck lists a lot. I just played magic. And you just let, you just let the legacy player pick his deck basically. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we we borrowed uh, the whole deck from actually Kale before he left. He dropped off the deck, and and uh, yeah, we not none of us play Legacy, so we just uh, googled best deck in Legacy and played it. <laughs> um, so how how was the performance? Like you both finished in, in the top four, but was it just one player in one format really carrying the team overall? We'll start with you, Andy. Um. So. I think we all just did like pretty well. So the first round, uh, I think, yeah, I was about to lose. I didn't lose officially, but I was about to lose and the team put me on their back. And that's, that's the moment where you're just like, I I love team tournaments. I just lost my first round. I would have been in the dumps, but now (laughs) I'm one Oh, and then from there, uh, I felt pretty favorite in all, all my matches personally and our affinity player had a, a lot of uh, mox opals in their opening hands so they uh, they did well too and our our legacy player was across from me so in, in between modern legacy is far away so i don't really know what happened until he won or lost but he uh, he did a lot of the dubs a lot of w's okay that's good that's good what about you alex was anyone particular carrying in, in your formats uh, i think our legacy player Matt was winning a little bit more than than the rest of us, but it was basically like every round we had hitting uh, losses, so we did a job of like staggering losses. Uh, I don't think we swept maybe one round where we had swept the other team, so it was a job of making to make sure we lost the third time. So okay, so any you you play standard. Let's go through one of your statements that you posted on Facebook. That you don't think the teamer energy is a dog in any post cyborg match, right? That was my lukewarm take, which Yeah, I don't think there's a single deck post board that beats teamer energy. Like you can have an overall good matchup, like uh, let's say blue white approach, for example. A lot of people think that it's overall a good matchup because like game one, you're like 70%, 70 plus percent favorite to win. But in the post board games, you're like down to like a 40% favorite from the, the side of approach. So like post board, you just have tools to be able to beat anything. Like you have cheap burn spells, counter spells and, uh, and good, good uh, threats, which there's no good way to sideboard around all of it. So you just get to mold your deck into being a good deck versus almost anything. Yeah, and it's like what sideboard cards are your opponents bringing in against you? Like, there's not like one card that'll shut down your entire deck except for a solidarity in turn three or something. But so, and Rogue Refiners is always good. Yeah. Uh, did you did you find people always the people were really disagreeing with you? Um, and you, the people, when you were playing as did you face a lot of mirror matches or decide to bring another deck to the table? Uh, so I didn't play against uh, a, a deck I would consider teamer energy until uh, the the top four. So the win in was against the, the Saltai Red is what I like to call it because it plays the Glint Leaf Siphoners. 
and uh, Gontis, but honestly, I just felt like all these people felt like their decks were beating Teamer, and it was just all over again that, like, oh, I have this good Teamer matchup. You you don't. You know, like, people don't have a good Teamer matchup most of the time. It's just a sad truth. This, the deck's so well-rounded that even if you do have a good one, it's not even that good. It's not worth not running this insanely powerful deck, that's for sure. <laughs> do you feel that way, Alex? Do you completely feel that way? Um... Yeah, I don't know. I, like I was saying before, I kind of had a deck in mind going into this tournament. I wanted to play wing deck for my Koi Burkhart. And I was playing it on Magic Online and I was just getting crushed. I like, you know, thought it, I was favored against, but, you know, like Andy says, I for a lot of these uh, control decks, I, I audible to an energy deck as well, which is why I played. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah um, I also. Uh played cycling through a league or two before the tournament because I was like, oh, this deck looks really cool. This draw engine's insane. Um, I don't see how a control deck could ever beat this deck. And then what mm-hmm. happened is I lost every single round I played against an energy deck I got. I lost very badly. They just like drew yeah. two negates and I didn't, couldn't, didn't have a chance anymore. They played a cub and then I, if they counter my wrath, I died. Yeah, you can't beat Glint Siege Siphoner is one of the things we were talking about. Like, that deck, you can't answer it till turn four if, it, you know, if it resolves. Uh, and, oh, and it turns out Vraska can kill Drake Haven. So, yeah, that sucks. So, Andy, um, do you, with, with, there's people posting now about, uh, to continue the whole teamer is the best uh, point. Uh, they posted, like, the SCG. Invitational top eight, where it was again mostly teamer energy, and uh, Evo, even Efro commented on how bad it was, and, and he's not surprised because he's not. He's always saying that standard is is pretty bad recently. Um, I did have a friend that tweeted back at him like, "All all I hear from you is salt and complaining." But is there a legit case to be made that uh, it's too much teamer? But you didn't even face teamer until like uh, one of the, your most important games. Uh, do you think anything? Should be changing the metagame? Does anything need to be banned to spice things up? Yeah, it's weird as, as, as we kept winning and uh, my opponents had a better record, the more likely they were to be playing energy. Because I played three straight energy decks from uh, the top four of the winning in and the round before. And then all the other ones just kept beating them because they weren't playing energy. Uh, yeah, the deck's, the deck's incredible. Sometimes I wonder if, like, if the format's bad because... It's uh, it's pretty oppressive. Like, why would you play other strategies when you have this strategy that's so consistent, synergistic, and powerful? And usually, with synergy decks, uh, when, when your cards are weak, your cards are weak. They synergize. They become strong. But uh, with energy, your cards are strong. Your synergies are stronger, and your deck becomes like this unbeatable snowbally mess. So, like the format, the format has interesting games, which is similar to the four color Sahili and. Uh, Mardu vehicles format, but it just depends on what you want to put your uh, what your emphasis is. Do you want diversity or do you want good games? And I personally want good games. Like diversity, I would put on the back burner because if you have bad games, but there's a, a billion different decks, you're just playing modern. <laughs> Shots fired. Well, did you have anything in your sideboard? How did you prepare for, for what was your strategy against the mirror? Because on the show, we've talked about like many plans that people have tried the gear Hulk plans of playing a lot of coups, main deck plan, the, the maxing out on vizier plan. What was your plan for the mirror now? 
Uh, so we took out six cards and brought in six cards. We took out four Long Tusk Cub, one Whirler Virtuoso, and one Magma Spray. And we were bringing in um, the second Vizier, the third Coup, um, a Supreme Will. I'm trying to remember what else it was. And just a couple more cards, uh, Nissa, Nissa and uh, a River's Rebuke. And that was about it. Just called it a day. Like, I think the, because we were already playing a Vizier in the main deck, we're already playing two coups that we already kind of, we didn't need to overdo it for the sideboard. Because we, we understood that there's only six cards that we want to take out. So we didn't want to overdo it by just starting to take out cards we want in our deck for cards we want more. Because then you're just kind of like diluting the, the great value and use you can get out of your sideboard when you start doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel that like you have an edge in the mirror against people that are less experienced? Like, do you, are, there, are there certain key cards or, or certain concepts that you think you emphasize more? Yeah, uh, uh, there's a couple of key concepts. So one thing that I personally always do is, uh, this happens all the time, is let's say you play a Rogue Refiner on turn three, I play a Rogue Refiner on turn three. When my opponent attacks, I never block, ever. And my reasoning <laughs> is that uh, the four drops... If it's whether it's Chandra or uh, Bristling Hydra, I always want my Rogue Refiner to be in play to help combat it. So that's something that I've done. And always, it's maximizing your mana. So trying to make the most of your spells and the most of your energy. I think just trying to like count your mana. Be like, okay, this turn I'm going to do this because I'm going to be at 5 mana next turn, and then I can play this and hold this up. The next turn I'm going to be at 6, so I want to have both my 3 drops for that turn. And you just want to pressure your opponent by using your mana as effectively as possible and making things as awkward as you can for them. Yeah, I think Planeswalkers are one of the men, like you're saying, like if you can't attack them, like the cards you're bringing in for the mirror, things like Confiscation, Coup, and Vizier, which don't interact with Planeswalkers at all. So like things like Nissa are great, like you're saying, and people board out their cubs, which makes it harder to pressure opposing Nissas. Oh, so really hot. Your hot take is to be mana efficient, Andy, according to uh, one of your, I guess, students. <laughs> Ooh, student. Oh, he's going to love that. <laughs> he's my esteemed partner. We build all our decks together. We are equals. All right. My apologies, then. My apologies. Uh, so that's a great, like, well, to, to clarify what you're saying, like, you. you as the player on the draw, you don't block with your rogue refiner just in case they slam a, like a Chandra and then are able to have it be pretty yeah. safe. The only way you can make planeswalkers and hydras bad are to keep the board clogged. So just take damage for a while. Like eventually you're going to play a whirler and you can start getting into chump block mode if that's what you have to do to stay alive. Like your deck's got a lot of ways to stay alive. But um, one thing you can't do is you can't get those creatures back when you start uh, trading them off where it looks like fine trades. But you have to remember, like, the Hydras are coming, the Chandras are coming, and you need to be able to pressure them. Mm-hmm. And Hydra's bad when there's a board stall. So making their Hydras bad is a good thing. Like, sure, it might make your Hydras bad because you never traded as well, but I don't, th- I don't think that matters as much. Okay, so you just want to set up a position where you're trading a Roll Refiner and some other creature that you don't care about for a Hydra. Yeah, exactly. I want to put them in a position where it's like, oh, I can't really attack with this Hydra because I don't want to use all of my energy just to trade with two of their creatures that they've already gotten value from. Okay. Okay, sweet. Alex, any, any extra thoughts on this? 
I was just going to say, you also just want to make sure that you can get value off of like your glory bringers and, you know, your sky sovereign. If you have that, you are that just did not block and take a hit from a rogue refiner just to make sure you get that, that value off the glory bringer exert. That's a very good point. All right. Um, Alex, uh, you are known to me, at least. I, I, I hate to pigeonhole you or, or put you in a, classify you as a certain player but you've been master a master of blue white decks ever since i met you in person and uh what do you think of a blue, blue white approach I, I would expect it to be right up your alley stall 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 and win which is a uh usually a defining feature of your decks yeah well like i said i started with a blue white cycling deck which i know I, like you said i love blue white decks <laughs> cycling deck would be great it's got wreckage which is a great against all the creature decks under the other control decks by you know dropping an early Drake Haven. I don't think approach is really where you want to be right now, especially post board. Um, you're trying to cast the seven mana sorcery against uh decks with the gate and spell pierce, things like that. That was for Asadon's main deck in mono red now, so uh, yeah, it's just so clunky. Uh, I just you know rather have low to the ground like this cycling deck um which only really requires you to have like four or five lands to function you're good is there off approach right now and you, you think the the cycling deck has potential i thought it did yeah i think maybe it still does it just needs to be tuned a little bit or something like that i'm not sure what but an interesting stat i saw at the, the scg envy this past weekend there were only like three approach decks in day two I mean, uh, Mike Flores didn't get there. He was on our show last episode. He was uh, talking about how he was going to go straight blue-white and then mentioned on, on Twitter today that uh, I can mention on the show that he thinks it's hot garbage. So don't play it, yeah. boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he said he was going to play mono or burn and modern and blue-white control and I'm going to say he should just flip-flop those. Do you have any quick thoughts on, on modern, Alex, since uh, you used to be an expert at it? Yeah, I still play a lot of modern. I, I played uh, Blue White Control, um, which I've been playing for a really long time. I actually won a face-to-face open with Blue White Control. Oh, yeah, that deck. That deck that yeah. uh, I actually played to um, played a similar list and asked you questions and made it to the top four of PPTQ. Felt it was good, but generally felt it took me a lot of effort to win, but maybe it's just me. Uh, are there any, do you still feel good about the deck now, given how certain decks have evolved? Yeah, it gained a few things. It Search for Ascanta is a great addition to the deck. And mm-hmm. the other thing is the Planeswalker rule change they made, so you can have two different Gideons on the battlefield at the same time. It is really relevant in this deck, because you're already playing Gideon of the Trials and Gideon Jura. Um, they work well together because of the emblem too of getting out of the trials. It's great. I think Supreme Verdict is is really well positioned in the format right now. It's against future decks like uh, Death Shadow. The uncounterable part of it is is really relevant there. And you have the benefit of again the the Gideon with its the, the three mana Gideon with its emblem and. Uh... Abilities that help you against certain matchups uh, that I like. It just I just feel like it's just a random additional plus that it's so good. Um, how many search uh, searches are you playing? 
kind of, you know, tempted to go up to two. A lot of lists right now are playing two. So, yeah, we might be experimenting with that a little bit. But Is, is, is there no chance that just because it's legendary, it never goes higher than that? I mean, the fact that you can flip it and then play another one and leave that one unflipped aren't even that bad. So, yeah, that's a great advantage there. Yeah, I've been looking, trying to see if anybody is, like, going crazier on it and playing at least three. But uh, not yet. You're, you're still on, on one right now? You just have a Miser's copy in your uh, latest Still list? just on the one, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess I haven't really touched it in a while since then. But, um, yeah, I, it, it looks a little bit clunky, the deck. If you, if you look at it, there's a lot of, like, a tap-out style deck is what I like to play. This guy, uh, Benny Hill, is the guy who's kind of been innovating the list, and he's been playing on, on, on Magic Online, so his list. But it's a lot of, like, four-mana, five-mana spells, like Cryptic Commands and Supreme Verdicts, and uh, it hangs with a lot of the best decks out there, like, you know, Affinity and two decks like that are kind of the good matchups for the deck. So, um going on right now and it feels pretty favored there okay um andy you just you just went with affinity and on your last appearance on this show you thought affinity was one of the sweetest decks in the format i imagine you still feel that way yeah i, I still do i played it at my um, rptq as well which uh we showed up late to because of a snowstorm so i lost round one but i went four one i lost my win into top eight to aldrazi tron which is a good matchup, but honestly, it happens. Like uh, they got unlucky in some ways, unlucky on the, in others. But uh, I, I do think it's well positioned. I think it is a good Death Shadow matchup because it doesn't take much from your deck to kill them. And I think it has uh, a lot of free wins, which is important in modern, and it's fast enough to keep up with combo decks. And you can side, you can put on, like anything in your sideboard, which is just a huge advantage in a format as wide open as modern. So I think it's good. I would uh, still play the 75 I played at the RPTQ at any tournament for the foreseeable future until modern changes. Did, did you notice much uh, five-color humans? I, I played at the LCQ. Didn't feel like many people were picking it up, uh, but I heard there were certain, a number of pilots on Sunday. Yeah, there was a few psychos left. Uh, they, they played the deck and they didn't win. One person made top eight. I, I think that deck's just, like, secretly not that great. Like, uh, people stopped playing Lightning Bolt, so the deck got good. But people could just start playing Lightning Bolt again. Like, it doesn't have a good affinity matchup. It's it's just, it's a weird tempo deck. It's a very strange tempo deck. And uh, I guess I probably don't fully understand it, and I'm sure there's tons of room for innovation because it can basically be five colors. So I'm, <laughs> sure we have, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of it. But uh, its current iteration just isn't good enough to me. Um, it's it doesn't like it plays a lot of hate cards that really don't affect, I guess, the, the affinity game plan. Yeah, they have a couple flyers, but like Reflector Mage is annoying. That, but they're just not they're not fast enough to to beat affinity. Well, what do you think about Blue White? Actually, uh, it's actually pretty good. I think Search Press Cant is bananas. I, I, I tried tested a bunch of red blue decks that were basically just steaming piles of bad, <laughs> but they had search for Ascanta. So they, they actually seemed pretty good. And then from there, all I wanted to do was build decks like basically built around this card. Like build a deck that you just win with only your spells 
And Search for Ascanta is just so good. It's one of the best cards I've played with in a long time. Even in a format like Whoa. Modern. Whoa. It's, it's insanely powerful at the very least. You can build a deck around it. Is this, a, is this hot enough of a take for you whiners at home? <laughs> but like, that's why like, like Alex is saying like he's test, he last tested with one. Do you see a world where blue-white should be playing more than that or even, even up to a place that, or is that bananas? Or is that too hot of a take? No, no, no. I, I honestly could see playing three. The, the card by itself is a card advantage engine. You could replace some of your other card advantage stuff with this card. And this card can single-handedly win you the game. It can uh, find you the threats you need. You can replace, like, you can uh, do, like, a split that sometimes people do with the cantrips, right? They play uh, four cantrips, they cut a land because they're playing the cantrips. You can cut a threat because you're playing Search for Ascanta, and you can filter through your other stuff. This card can win you the game by itself and also filter you to what you need. And when you start draw going, it's absolutely, it's just one of the best things you could possibly have going for you. Uh, so what's the best shell right now? Like, you just tried blue-red, or are you going to try to fit it in blue-white? Is that type, or is it just not your style? I, I would test it in blue-white. Blue-white uh, seems like a pretty good deck. Like, usually I think it, it was not well-positioned for a while, but I think it's actually just getting better. And uh, I, I tried blue-red, like, uh, through the breach, and I tried, like, just a blue-red control deck with Madcap Experiments, too. Just, uh, there's, there's a lot of room for innovation. I, I could see it in Jeskai's as well. Because that's where you get the burn spells to just kill people with, right? So now you're now you're search for us canting for ways to kill people and ways to keep you alive. And I think so. Blue whites just start killing with planeswalkers, which it already basically did anyway. So I I would love to see at least two. If I'm playing, I'm trying two to start. I might. I could see three. Three is a world that I could see myself <laughs> living in. Hot take would be that you should play four because it's the most powerful. It can single-handedly win get, you the game. We might get to that point eventually where four is correct. It's like, it's like Jason Michael sculptor, right? It started as like a two-of and, and then it became four and universally uh, agreed that it's, it's four is the best number. Yeah, there's, there's lots of times in modern where we've just kind of been lukewarm on a card for a long time and then like a year later we're like, this card's the best card ever. People used to not play this card. <laughs> It's like, how do we not see it? People are just like crazy. Um, and, and I wonder how long it actually, I, I'm trying to remember how long it took people uh, to see that Pack Rat was going to be broken until like um, someone, did, did they even play four in the initial version? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good example though. Yeah, that, the Pack Rat. Like no one thought it was that good. And it's like, whoa, if you just make a dude, like a simple statement, if you just make a dude every turn, Deck's yeah. nuts, apparently. <laughs> Man, I could sh- I could show you some some of the goods. There's lists of Splinter Twin while Snapcaster was legal with one Snapcaster in it. People didn't <laughs> right, listen, know. Listen to this. My, the first PTQ I ever played was a modern one, and I top-aided with Affinity with zero Arcbound Ravagers. Just didn't, didn't have the money? <laughs> Just scraping Just by? Didn't. No, I didn't think it was that good. <laughs> And it was like the very. This is the very start of modern, so there weren't like that many lists out there yet. What was the logic? Whatever. That you know, it's a guy that just dies. I mean, looking at the rest of the top eight list, there were like two other affinity decks in top eight, and like the other people were playing like three or two, something like that. So I think just the lists at the time just weren't playing four. <laughs> this is my boy. It was the wild west, man. It was the wild west. Yeah. <laughs> it still is sometimes, like with with modern, with a lot of people just happy coasting with their current list and making slight adjustments 
until there's like a relevant tournament where pros are really jamming and, and <clears throat> playing like different play sets of, of different cards in order to see how good they are to, to push the limits. Um, yeah, that, so, so that is, hopefully Alex, you, you try that out, but, but twin, uh, did your evolution, your deckless evolution happen the same way? Did you only have one snapcaster early and then, and then many more later on, or were you always on the, a lot of snapcasters? People didn't really play four snapcasters and still when people don't play four, it kind of boggles my mind because it's such a good card. It's like the best card basically in any Snapcaster Mage deck usually. So you, in question so, uh, if Twin was legal, you, you'd snap play, play four snap. <laughs> snap play four snap. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right. Um, so I, I don't talk about Legacy too much. For, for me, um, because none of us really play it that much, I just want to talk about the, the tournament as a whole. Shout out to Derek Pite, Misplaced Ginger who took down the whole tournament. Uh, I don't have the names of, of his teammates, but shout out to my boy Derek. Uh, deserves it. Just not another achievement outside of being the MTGO Trophy Master. He's now a face-to-facegames.com open champion. Um, I, I asked on this show a couple of episodes ago that I feel like with the GP schedule this year featuring more team trios constructed, that maybe this is the format of the future. And I'm not sure if you guys agree with me on that, uh, because I think one of my main things was that to, in order to feature some of the best teams constantly to build a narrative, to see, you have to, I guess, lower the variance a bit. And team events generally do that. If you see Team Limited, that's why you have uh, Huey Jensen, Reed Duke, and Owen Turnerwall always in the top eight or, even always winning. And I think maybe this is the future. And it just makes the team Pro Tour series, instead of just like different individuals playing their separate matches, and you don't really know what's going on. And I don't think coverage has been able to do uh, with what they have a good job of just making me care enough about the teams. Maybe a live, I don't know, a live thing on the screen that shows me the standings and that updates itself during the tournament. Uh, but you know, having your teammates' performance actually matter is Team Trio's constructed. Um, Andy, how did you feel like the, the whole room felt about the tournament, and, and did they want more of this? And do you want more, actually? Uh, so Team Tournaments and uh, Team Trio's constructed is a, is a great fun format. So the, on, the only problem I have with it is that it features Legacy, which I feel like has not been treated like a real format through its whole ban, ban list or whatever. So I kind of hate that it's on there. Honestly, I, I wouldn't mind seeing just like standard modern sealed, which I have, played in, I have played in a trios tournament where that was featured. And it, it ran fine. You just start an hour earlier, you build your sealed deck together, and you move on. And you play like normal. But it just doesn't make sense to me to have Legacy be a feature of anything in magic honestly like to be on the big stage i feel like it has its place and that's not where it is like so everyone felt great about the team tournament because playing with your friends is awesome but legacy is the only flaw for it to me because i feel like there's it's it uh, brainstorm is the most obscene card i've ever seen be legal it makes no sense same with death right shaman the best creature of all time hot take <laughs> yes that's, that's the that's a lukewarm take also <laughs> No, no, that's all I take. Best creature of all time. I think that's all yeah. I take. Okay, maybe Hermit Druid. Everyone always tells me Hermit Druid, but I've never seen this card. Okay, it's been, 
it's been tucked away in a closet banned for my lifetime. Like, I'll never see that card. But other than Hermit Druid, maybe. Deathrite Shaman's the best creature of all time. Okay, I don't know if the chat agrees, but uh, give us more options, uh, Andy. Do you, do you want to see Sealed? What, what other options would you like? Block? Commander? Block, get out of here. With Unstable? There's only two <laughs> sets of Block. <laughs> I, guess you, I guess if I get to... I, I shotgun Kaladesh. <laughs> but um, I, I think t- uh, Standard Modern Sealed is awesome. It's like the three main formats that they feature at GPs, and it's just not that hard to do. I don't get why they're not doing it. Lots of people love limited. Can you imagine uh, bringing your friend who doesn't play magic, like, who will come in and play limited with you because he doesn't need cards for it. He doesn't need to know the format that well, that you couldn't explain to him like relatively simply. It's just limited is a great way to get people in the game. And it's one of their main features of magic is getting people to draft, do limited. So I don't get why they're not featuring it and legacies here. <laughs> Man, good what point. Frontier, Frontier, oh, yeah. no. Frontier. Frontier. <laughs> I've not. never heard of it. <laughs> um, that's a good point. Yeah. Seal. That would be interesting because you're right. There's, there's always that. All, all of us have that one guy, or at least more than one guy or girl or, or multiple that strictly play limited. Like my friend Josh Frankel just streams limited, plays limited. My friend Semulin probably 95 percent of the time streaming limited, jamming limited, posting limited videos. And that, that'd be awesome. Just like, oh, constructed, modern, and we got, you know, it could be even someone like at, at FNM. Hey, you want to play at tomorrow's event? We're looking for just anyone that likes to, to play draft or, or sealed in this format. So pretty sweet. Uh, what do you think about that, Alex? Um, well, I was just going to say, uh, I feel like Legacy being a part of these team events is more of a compromise more than anything. I feel like Wizards is kind of moving, moving toward killing legacy off the gp circuit completely being part of the team formats at least gives it you know players some opportunity to play it on the gp circuit so uh being a part of part of the team permanence right now personally i know andy doesn't doesn't think that but well so would you go would you be all for sealed i don't know sealed is a little weird to me because there's the build time your team might even play limited (laughs) <laughs> might not be able to help you or whatever. So, not oh, looking don't, at oh, don't, don't give me that. Not, not caring at all, or no, I seriously like my legacy play. I'll just let them do whatever they want because I don't really play legacy. So, if you know if this sealed player is teaming with two constructed players who hate limited for some reason or something, I don't know. There's a lot of people who hate limited. So, I just I, I can't see the the people <laughs> being like, uh, oh, we don't really understand sealed, so we're not going to help this guy out, but. <laughs> Compared to legacy, You're like listen, I've I've played the Landsmere tenfold, partner. Let me tell you how to how to navigate this. No, they haven't. Not like they've probably barely know what these cards do. But in sealed, at least like everyone has a basic knowledge that like play a two for two for two. It's pretty okay. I guess it would work. What would you do then? Like the top four or top eight? Would you have them draft? Yeah, just play your sealed deck. Just play your sealed deck. Yeah. Yeah. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> Alex was like, "Aw, what? If, <laughs> I don't know. What if it's crap?" And the guy's like, "Please, I just want to draft or or get rid of, give me a refresh." <laughs> but I think I like the idea. I think the only way, uh, only reason this wouldn't be common is because at the local level, just 
it would only be for big tournaments. I, I, you've played in one? Where did you play in one, Andy? Because like, at the local level, people aren't going to want to do this. Like, lazy TOs. It was, um, it was in Toronto, probably like uh, four or five years ago. Oh, my goodness. Some, uh, I can't remember the name. Molly's, Polly's or something. Okay, well, whatever. But, um, no no free advertising for them. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I, got, I got paid. Um, yeah, and so it was just standard, standard modern sealed. And that was actually the first team tournament I ever played with uh, my good friend Kale and Devin. So oh. it was pretty cool, and I loved it. It was awesome. I mean, it sounds awesome. I just don't think uh, – not that the TL is necessarily lazy. I don't think to them it's just worth the upside to just being like, oh, everyone brings their deck and it's legacy. So I think it would take a lot of convincing for at least the local level. The TOs don't want to charge people for them sweet boosters? I mean, I guess if it's a product they want to get rid of, I guess that's a good point. But they just want to – especially late late in the season, like now it's like, oh, man, let's get rid of all those Ixalan boosters or – or uh, man, iconic's not doing well at all, and I can't imagine you got you guys keep your pulse on the prices that much, except for Andy when when he, he needed to keep track of Sahili's when it went up or down. But imagine you spec too much. But iconic's really taking a nosedive, and I wonder if it's just the influx of products that are coming in, or it just like. The spoiler did not live up to the hype. People aren't really excited about Iconic Masters because it doesn't contain like cert, like masterpieces or fetch lands or something that they really want to open Iconic for. But it, it's taking a giant nosedive uh, financially. Like people, like it's so crazy that the set comes out and stores are already putting it as part of their Black Friday sale. Like SEG was doing it, huge cut, and it's like, what's going on? Um, everyone, like face to face games, were, were doing it. So. The set just wasn't in high demand. Was that right? You, you don't care about that set, right, Andy? I played it a couple times, but uh, there's just no real incentive to play these formats, and there's been so many of them that I feel like they might be happening a little too much. But I, I don't have a good gauge for how often they should happen because they need to reprint these cards. They need to get the prices down. So I guess it's, it is doing that, but maybe they should... Uh, I, I don't know what they should do. Maybe change the MSRP something because there's one piece of the puzzle isn't working and I, I don't know enough about it to, to know exactly what it is to be honest uh, we got shout out to my boy jonathan mendina in the chat the uh king or ex-king of mtg finance says it was overprinted and poorly marketed i think i read on twitter that rudy from alpha investments correct me if i'm wrong i just read someone tweeting about it that one person was disagree i think it was even jeremy from mtg headquarters saying he disagreed with with Rudy, that Rudy was saying that he was buying a crap ton of Iconic and to invest in that. So don't know if there's any truth to that. Uh, Medina, if you can enlighten me at all, because I know you, uh, you follow uh, Rudy, or used to follow Rudy uh, when we both watched his videos. Um, but from, from uh, I remember even the, the team event uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, the stream for Magic, it was just not that interesting. Uh, it lost to my my some my I have a coworker that that's really into Summoner Wars and Summoner Wars was crushing it. I mean the the amount of people watching the GP were in the hundreds, and I think it goes without saying that uh, no one really cares about limited at all to, to watch. Uh, I, I have to I keep thinking about this tweet that AJ Soccer made at the PT where they talked about like this Japanese guy with this sick limited record uh, that. 
the narrative was that like he, had, he was the current limited master, but then they didn't even decide like for the first time they probably have like a narrative to to use to stream limited with, and they didn't do it. They didn't stream that guy. Um, you know what, who I'm talking about, Alex or Andy? Yeah, I saw that. They showed his first constructed round. Yeah, yeah. Like this guy, it's like first time. Maybe you have a narrative to see like if he can stay have a a broken limited record. So. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's the way, but really interested. I really want to see uh, team the, the reception of Team Trios constructed uh, streamed. I wonder how popular that would be. Um, yeah, what do you think about that, Alex? Do you think that would be interesting? It would get stronger numbers? Uh, yeah, I mean, you get you definitely get like hardcore legacy uh, fans more invested now that that uh, that's part of the format. But um, yeah, and I guess. Try to get equal screen time for all three of the formats, which could be kind of tough. Yeah, yeah. I think the only bonus would be, like, if the two games were done and then you get to see, like, the emotion of the two other guys, like, or girls sweating whoever's playing that's left. I guess. I yeah, know. I feel like also it's going to be really tough commentators. They've got to be well-versed in three different constructed formats. <laughs> Here's the three different advantage bars <laughs> that are going out. Yeah. You have to adjust back and forth. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's not the best idea. I, ju- I just feel like if there's a team, then, then casual fans or, or even they can constantly cheer for the same team, and, and that team's just really likely to keep doing well. Th- uh, final thoughts on that, uh, Andy? Yeah, t- so Team Constructed in particular is a bizarre one to watch. So, like, I do enjoy watching it because I love watching all these pros crush it because team events are so beneficial to them. But it is just so weird to get into the swing of things and just, like, sit down. You're like, all right, let's watch this. You're like, oh, I just watched him get turn one by Belcher. Okay, let's go to the next game. And it's like, all right, it's turn 14. The advantage bar is smack dab in the middle in this team or energy mirror. Like, the pacing is so violently different in these formats that it's like, it's kind of weird to like when you're switching through or like if you're only like one format and you don't know when to watch or when not to watch. So it, uh, it kind of like separates people, but brings them together because the, the, the characters are the people that they like to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. To continue on, on streaming, the magic world cup happened or world magic cup happened this past weekend. Your, your, your boy kale and he was part of team Canada. Rich Hagan put up a preview article that I shared. And I think many articles are, are people like AJ, who loves to rank people for the Players' Championship and for Worlds, will always have Canada somewhere, top four, top eight. Uh, I know Alex isn't invested in Canada as much as we are because he's, he's from good old, good old America. But we've been, I think we've been a strong favorite for the past, I don't know, since, since they changed it, the World Magic Cup, I think we've been one of the top teams uh, featuring sometimes multiple pro tour winners. One team had Alex Hain and Sean McLaren uh, and, and also good players uh, filling the third and fourth slot. One team had you and John Stern on it, Andy, like what, what went wrong? What's going on? What's going on? We're one fouring consistently. Like this isn't, maybe we can say we can chalk it up to variance, right? <laughs> All right. So I've put a lot of thought. I've done the research into why we are so bad at the World Magic Cup. And so I think there's a few factors that are real factors. So I think uh, 
there is uh, some variance to it. Like even the best players in the world in Magic uh, have bad years at the Pro Tour, and that's four Pro Tours, right? And like you only get one shot a year at the World Magic Cup. And we're certainly not at the par level of a top tier pro player like Shahar Shenhar is a, is a fast example I think of who kind of disappeared for a bit. And he's phenomenal. He's a fantastic player, but had a bad year. It's possible just not to not get your breaks. But I think a thing that Canada has that's bad going for it is that uh, everyone is so spread out over the country that it's, you don't know each other or the strengths of these people that well. Like, uh, for example, when I went, there was someone who I'd never heard of, never met before. And even the people who've been, who live close to me, like only three hours away, I've never really met them. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're good at. But all these European countries, they live so close. It's so easy to travel from place to place in like uh, the smaller countries that they just all know each other so like intimately. They know what they're good at. They know what their strengths are. And they're already like steps ahead on where Canada has to get to in the preparation for the tournament. And another thing I noticed uh, when playing is that we don't speak another language. Like well, some of us speak French, but I remember sitting down at a tournament and I swear. So we sat down across our opponents and they're just like shouting in their language what their plays are, what they're going to do, what they want to do. And we're sitting here whispering to each other because, uh, because they speak English and I don't speak uh, Costa Rican. <laughs> and it was, it was a real disadvantage. They get to like think out loud to each other when I just have to whisper like, what do I do here, John? <laughs> it's also a really hard tournament to prepare for. So, the, the especially because it's always been like these unified weird formats that aren't ever real formats you never have to test for this format before you get these weird inbred decks and you don't know how inbred you're supposed to get you don't know what level you're supposed to go on like you do at the pro tour you know like how far up the ladder you're supposed to go and land on to, to pick your deck for a metagame but it's just uh it's so much harder to do that when there's this another level of a restriction put on you that you've never had to deal with before. So there's just a lot of things kind of going against us. And uh, combined with uh, some, some bad, obviously a little bit of bad luck, I'm sure there's been some mistakes in preparation because it can't all just be bad luck. But there's, there's, it's, uh, it's not an easy tournament because it's just so different. All right. Uh, well, well, I, I want to give a quick shout-out to Japan. We ended up winning with Kenta Harane, Yuya Watanabe, Shuta Yasuka. What a sick team team probably on paper one of the best teams heading into the tournament and they were able to clinch it um but but Andy, what what steps would you make like let's say next year you make team canada uh whether you're the captain or, or you're the national t- captain or you're the runner-up what steps would you take to make sure you have a better shot of success especially since you're likely going to be teaming up with someone that's pretty good at, as the captain whoever it is i, I think the steps that I would have to take is uh, more collaboration more early on and even just getting to know each other, like get to the event site even earlier and uh, do the kind of a house thing. That way you can get to know each other. And it, th- the key is you got to be honest on what you're good and what you're bad at. And it's hard to, when you're trying to like, you're teaming up with John Cerny, you don't want him to think you're bad. So you're like, Oh, I could do that. Yeah, I can play that. I can do that. And it's, it's a serious thing. And then you have to be honest with what you're good and what you're not good at. That way you guys can work on work on that stuff together. 
And so I think the key is uh, getting to know each other better and maybe uh, spicing up the French. <laughs> Having that second language in your back pocket? Do we need it. It's the secret weapon. Okay. <laughs> Alex, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, it was kind of like this Facebook post in the nation that sparked this conversation, right? Looking at the, the results for Team Canada over the past years since the World Magic Cup was created, it was like two in 2012, 70 in 2013, 71st out of 72 in 2014, 2015. Then uh, they got 18th in 2016 and then 70th out of 74th this year. And the thing is that, like, you guys aren't fielding bad teams or anything. You guys, two platinum pros on your team some years, and it's almost always pretty solid team members from what I've seen. Uh, so kind of a mystery why Team Canada is always under, underperforming so much to me. I'm just an American, so I, I, I can only guess at what the answer is. But <laughs> uh, change. it's not cold enough in France. That the weather is just too balmy over there. So, I heard you. U.S. had a heartbreaker, and uh, you know, you guys didn't. Were, I was cheering for, of course, despite uh, cheering for Canada. I was always cheering for for my friends Reed and Jerry, uh, especially since I, I'm pretty close with Jerry. But heartbreaker, heartbreaker didn't make the top eight. Um, was hoping he could do yeah, it game this year. Yeah, yeah, and I also like their team this year. Jer- Jerry and Reed uh, was really excited to see for and Oliver. I don't know how hmm, it's tough. The, the the challenge of of coming together and everything. Um, speaking about the tournament itself and and watching it, I think all three of us didn't care for it too much just because of the time zone, and it didn't appeal to a lot of people because like even you, Alex. Well, time zone. Was was the main reason, but you cared more about the SCG Invitational because it was a real format, right? Yeah, like you said, the time zone thing is an issue. It's like the broadcast started at like four AM Eastern time or something for us. Yeah, the whole unified standard thing was a little weird because it felt like mono red deck and energy deck, and then some third unplayable deck <laughs> for us to play. So, yeah, you just rather tune into the SCG at that point. Okay. And he feels the same way, right? Yeah, so it was pretty hard to get interested because by the time I woke up, we were already, like, hanging by a thread trying to trying to survive for our <laughs> lives. And then, like, I started my first class, I checked my phone, and we're dead. Okay. <laughs> Find something else to do. Yeah, yeah, you out of anybody would be emo- more emotionally invested than, than us because you have Kale. Your your boy was on the team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was uh, <laughs> was gonna watch it all, and uh, just woke up and things just didn't go their way, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like people in chat mentioned some of the teams that, that we've had. We had Hayne and McLaren. We had Hayne and Jacob Wilson. Um, players Andy that. And Stern. Andy and John Stern, like <laughs> players, people consider two exactly. of the very best of the country in the country in those uh, specific years. Andy, what place did you finish in your team? Sixty uh, fourth. So uh, let the record show that we top sixty four. That bad boy. <laughs> how, how many teams were there? 
I, but there's no point of keeping track. <laughs> there are 70. 70. 64 out of 70. And did you one-up Kale, though? I guess? One-up him. I finished <laughs> six spots higher. <laughs> oh, man. I'm um, just going to mention some stuff in chat. They were correct. Uh, Brian, some info. Uh, Jeff Bugen Higgin, shouts to you. Said that Rudy bought 5K boxes of Iconic Masters. And I guess he's planning to just hoard them and wait for them to go up. I, I would imagine uh, John Medina confirmed with me that that was probably a misplay. But, you know, I, I don't know. Finance. You tell me, Medina. Prime, are you Prime Medina? Are you back to your <laughs> old ways? Um, so we're going to, I guess, wrap this up. I'm just going to shout out our First Strike uh, producers. Uh, the show wouldn't be possible without them. So uh, shout outs to the First Strike Nation, everyone in the First Strike Nation, but also all our First Strike producers, including Derek Pite, uh, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Jay Thomas Eaton, Matthew Kelly, and Adrian Merchinson. You make this uh, possible, make the hosting of the podcast possible. Um, and uh, like really, because you'd be surprised, like supporting, I mean, maintaining an online podcast and, and storing it online actually costs quite a bit of, of funds. So huge shout out. Not a misplay, according to Medina. It's a good play to buy a crap ton of Iconic Masters. So really curious as to why, according to Jonathan Medina. Uh, any of you boys have an upcoming tournament? Uh, GP uh, New, Jersey, New Jersey, New York, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, GP New Jersey is coming up uh, in two weeks. Yeah, not this weekend, but the weekend after. Yep. So I'll be going there beating the dead horse that is Ixalan Limited. Uh, Alex, are you going to be there? Yeah, I'll be there too. And uh, the GP Santa Clara at the, the first week of 2018. Uh, team trios gp so i love it that, that's what i pride about uh this show that i bring people that are actually active and constantly grinding at gps and, and not just at fnm hashtag shots fired mike flores <laughs> I hope he doesn't get this no, no, i love you mike um andy uh even robert anderson my, my good friend who won the gp in toronto in this format says that uh the format sucks like it's just it's kind of boring there's nothing that interesting it's just like especially sealed my goodness it's just pick the tribe you got the most of and put all those cards in your deck and then that that's almost it and it's 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 tough because i hate seeing a limited format get so stale so fast but people were off ixalan come nationals i was already off it i was i was bored of it i know lots of people i i know were bored of it already so hopefully Wizards bounce back and uh, the next set really brings brings more to it because this format uh, is just too too simple for me. Too, the games play out pretty similarly all the time. It's pretty snowball-y and doesn't lead to a lot of fun gameplay. Okay, so so you agree with everyone? Just pick your tribe and go as... Is it as aggressive as possible? Oh, is in, that, is that in the field, you want to you wanna just have like your tribe synergies uh, rocking in full force. And uh, there are going to be aggressive decks, so you have to at least... If you're not going to be aggressive yourself, you have to have that in mind, without a doubt. Because the synergies are so strong that you have to know how to, to beat the snowballs of like these 
like aggressive red white dinosaur decks or like these black white vampire decks that go long and are kind of aggressive and uh just the blue red decks that just put like a bunch of enchantments on a creature and cast dive down when you try and kill it there's just a lot of a lot of snowballing which is kind of kind of not that fun and limited uh one one good question would be uh do you it, hasn't been a while that you've you've drawn in sealed, or do you still sometimes do that, or think it's correct, or do you think now the the formats are too powerful that that you almost go on to play automatically? I'll start with you, actually, Alex. Dependent in my experience sealed. If you another grindy, uh, just with you know, ton of advantage will come down. To both your opponent being in top deck mode with the cards in hand, um, it's just in this Ixalan format. It's probably not gonna the way the games play out. So uh, yeah, it's unlikely I'd say in this format in particular, but it it happens. Like it happens in Omniket, I think. But okay, Andy. Uh, yeah, in this format, uh, I want to be on the play because there's not a lot of good removal to catch you up when you're getting. Uh getting behind so you need to to being on the play is actually just a quite a big advantage worth more than a more than a card at the very least at this point because like sometimes uh the being on the play and draw like almost balances out there's just like maybe this five percent disparity in win rate but i feel like in this format i bet being on the play really changes that win rate much more uh, than it does in other formats because of the snowballing and the removal is not that just not good enough to to get you out of the snowball have you been drafting much or have you left that alone for a long time as well? Or do you have any thoughts if you do make like day two with a very solid record at uh, GP New Jersey? Um, yeah, like I've been, I still draft uh, every once in a while. I certainly don't draft as much as I would usually in a format like this. And honestly, I, I like, so there's, there's like a whole week where I won't touch it just cause it's just not that, not that interesting, but, uh, Come this week, I'm obviously going to draft a little bit more. That way I can at least say I'm prepared and just got unlucky instead of uh, saying I'm bad is why I lost. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Where can people check out, check you guys out in terms of uh, streams or anything? Are you, are you guys still streaming? Uh, start, start with you, Alex. Um, where, where I haven't really streamed in a while, but I know um, we were t- Talking about my videos soon for manadeprived.com. So look forward to that on Twitter at Geminite. Um, yeah. I, I'm thinking of uh, maybe not even Mana Deprived, actually. Maybe, maybe just for First Strike Nation. We'll see. We'll talk because uh, sure. I, think, I think there's just demand for specific content that's just made, not just like, hey, I'll jump in this. I'll jump in. I think that's good content for manadeprived.com. Hey, I'll just jump on in a league and stream the league. But I think if we, if it's possible, we'll have to find someone else like possibly me uh, to grind, let's say specific matchups in, in standard and, and just to have like, here's what our plans are. Both of us, what we're cyborging out. Here's how the games play out. Here's the concepts that we have learned or are aware of after testing a bunch. I think there, there is a demand for that, especially like, that's why we have the cyborg guys as part of a bonus to to donate to the Patreon, just because people love that stuff that is just like 
constantly worked on and updated every couple of weeks as new decks emerge. And again, if anyone in the nation have a deck that they would like a guide for that that is one of the more popular decks, then you know, we're going to update that and do that for you, whether it's modern or standard. Might have to find a legacy expert if there's a demand for that, but there hasn't been. Um, Andy, where, are you, you're still streaming regularly. Where do they, can they find you? Yeah, so I, I haven't streamed in like a week because I uh, just got back to school from the, the strike for colleges across Ontario. But I stream at uh, AndyAwkward underscore MTG, and my Twitter is at AndyAwkward. And I try, I'll tr- be trying to stream again now that we're basically caught up with school. <laughs> Man, we, we were on strike for five weeks. What? What's yeah. going on? Oh, we had I had no class for five weeks because uh, the teachers union or whatever uh, went on strike and there was no deal. And in fact, they got forced to go back to work by the government. So they still never had a deal. Oh, that's nuts. All right. Uh, thank you guys for your time. Um, I'm going to see. I'm going to keep the show going. I'm going to kick you guys out. I'm going to keep the show going and see if Medina has time to join us and, and Kyle will edit us in. So uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Annie. And we'll talk to you soon. Hey, First Strike you, Nation, what's up? Did you try to connect via HTTPS? Is that is that the issue? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, Iconic Masters. So um, uh, Rudy bought five thousand boxes. Is that what you said? Actually, actually, I gotta, gotta, gotta give you a proper intro. The, in my opinion, the original MTG Finance Master, my co-host, my ex-co-host with me on the A Team Podcast. Probably the second most popular cast. I wouldn't say all time, but <laughs> at its prime, it was the second only to limited resources. So uh, really happy to be on the show with you once again. And uh, here we are just to break down a few of the qu- questions that were in the nation and a little things that were brought up. So yeah, 5K of Iconic. Iconic's been tanking since its release, uh, like Black Friday sale. People were just selling it like, like low prices. People were surprised that it went that low. Um, but you think it's a it's possibly a smart investment long term. So would now be the time to buy, basically? Yeah, I think so. And the reason why is um, so. First of all, Iconic Masters was poorly, um, just poorly marketed, right? Uh, let it, releasing it like way back at Hascon, and then people seeing it, not really being able to get their hands on it till way later. And then when they are able to get their hands on it, there's it's in the middle of all these other releases. So. Uh, that's like a that's a poor marketing move. Nobody really cared at that point, right, about Iconic Masters because all this other stuff was going on. There was like Ixalan and other stuff. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember nobody cared. And so what happened was is that Iconic Masters kind of got lost in all the noise. Okay, that's the marketing problem. The other problem is they printed a bunch of it, and the reason we know that is because it's in like Target and like Walmart, right? And there was like stories about people buying iconic masters packs at like Walmart for $5 and, um, or target for $5. And so when a, when a premium set like that is selling at target for five bucks, people get worried. They're just trying to fire sale that stuff, get it out of their hands. Cause they don't want the, the, the prices are just plummeting. They don't want to be left holding the bag. So they're getting rid of it. Um, but what I'm saying is, hey, there's a bunch of good cards in Iconic Masters, a bunch of staples, uh, things like Cryptic Command, uh, you know, uh, Magus of the Moon, Aether Vial, you know, Grove of the Burn Willows, Horizon Canopy, all of these things, the prices are getting depressed 
because it's it's uh, it's being open so much people are selling it so cheap everyone's opening it and so these prices are falling but what i think is those prices because of demand uh those prices should be higher right and even things like night of the reliquary which has been reprinted a bunch of times restoration angel those things are really starting to bottom out like night of the reliquary like three dollars for a night of the reliquary you know what? three dollars <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was like i think it was creeping up to like ten dollars before this released you know and that's after being reprinted a bunch of times and so even in being in the dual deck or whatever so i, I think that because those prices will rebound those prices will go up um that that the boxes will eventually go up, right? Because uh, when people want to open those pricier cards, they're going to be like, oh, a box of Iconic Masters, you know? Now, that's that's from this perspective, but Wizards of the Coast is crazy, man. Like, they're printing stuff, like, nuts. Just the biggest problem in, I guess, the biggest boogeyman in Magic Finance right now is the reprint, right? It's like, before, we didn't really worry about that. Reprints were very... Uh, what do you call that? Uh, just kind of scarce, right? They didn't do a lot of crazy reprints, but with these master sets, you don't know what's going to be reprinted. You know, like I was talking about the uh, the Praetors. The Praetors in the in the set are commander cards, right? They're mainstays of commander, great cards. Uh, before Iconic Masters dropped, I was uh, I was trying my hand at some videos, some YouTube videos, if you remember. And uh, one of the one of the things I pointed out were that these Praetors were were getting ready to pop in price, ready to raise higher. And um, and then Iconic Masters came out and started to depress the the price of those. So even the Praetors themselves will go back up because the demand is there. It's a their mainstays in Commander, and you know people don't take apart Commander decks; they just make more of them. You know. Rudy, man, Travis Wu, uh, all, all our favorite content producers. <laughs> Do you still watch Rudy? Hey, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to be associated with any YouTube content creators because I don't know, you know, you know, I just don't know, man. I'm not, I have no comment, okay? There's so much stuff going on in the YouTube world right now that uh, I, I just, you know, Let's just leave it, leave it at that, you know? <laughs> I actually have to catch up on my Rudy because I, I don't know what's the state of... Um, the last I, I, I was watching him with you was when he was starting his own uh, yeah. LGS. Store, so I don't know, right? Yeah, I don't know what, at what point and how successful he is right now. Um, one quick thing I wanted your opinion on, because you used to play Commander. Did this big news that uh, the unstable cards would be legal in multiplayer commander, did that freak you out? Like for me as a as a player that doesn't play, I'm like, wow, that sounds crazy. Like all these crazy cards that do crazy things are going to be legal? I can't imagine a lot, a, a section of the commander base be really ecstatic about that. You know, there was so much uh, backlash about that. I was really surprised. I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised that people are freaking out. First of all, it's a temporary thing. Okay, so it's only until like January 15th. So from now until January 15th, you can play with the uncards, right? From the silver border cards. So that to me, it's like, it's temporary. Who cares, right? Um, so as a commander player, I still play commander, by the way. Uh, I don't mind. It's, it's really a house rules kind of format anyway. So, you know, people can say no silver border cards in this house, you know, and then people have to listen to that, right? As far as like financial impact, there is definitely some financial impact because, you know, there was the Hascon promo with the, the Dinobot uh, commander, right? 
that thing is like $160 right now because people want to build dinosaur commander, you know, but like in my mind, I'm like, why didn't you just do that before and ask your friends if you could play with it at the table? Like, you know, so I, I don't think it's going to have any lasting effects other than uh, some people will play with the, the silver border cards and then they'll say, Hey, I like that. And, and the commander players of their, of their play group will say, we like that. Let's, let's keep it some decks around. And then, so I think that will, create a small demand for those things. Cause I think some house house players are just going to keep it. They're going to say, yeah, you know, you'll have a deck where we're going to play our undecks or whatever, you know? And so I think that'll be something going forward as people play with it, have some fun, you know? And I mean, there's lots of degenerate things in commander, right? I mean, some, you can win on like turn two, if you want turn three. So like, who cares? Right. It's like, I mean, okay, so we have a bunch of broken, silly cards now added to the pool. But, like, if you really want to just break the format, you can do that right now as it is. You don't really need, you know, you know, unglued for that. <laughs> oh, I don't know, John, if you were around when, if you were following the finances when those are the finances of those sets, the previous unsets, because there's a lot of talk that you know, after the initial release, it's just going to nosedive because people usually just buy the boxes or sets um, or packs rather to, to play these drafts unstable. And then it quickly just like, it, it just nosedives because people are, um, they don't get, no longer get excited. The excitement of these new cards and trying this new stuff uh, dies as opposed to conspiracy where people are arguing the reason why conspiracy is less bad because you can actually, there's actually cards you can play in constructive formats in that set whereas like the un- unsets really what people are usually going for are th- the basic lines i think those people are just short-sighted to be honest like um you know there's so many there's okay so if you talk to people who play construct it not everyone i don't want to generalize but there's a lot of there's a lot of this kind of short-sightedness where they're like you know oh if it's not in constructed it's not going to be financially viable it's like what does that see play and why is that worth money well they need to get their heads out of that because there's so many other people playing magic that are not playing constructed that don't even walk into a card store right and you got people building cubes that are using uncards and actually the thing you said about unsets uh, just diving off that's not the data that wizards of the coast has i mean if you listen to the podcast from mark rosewater uh, his Drive to Work podcast, which is awesome, by the way. Um, it's great for game design. I don't know if you guys are into that. I don't know who's watching either, but <laughs> what, what he said is uh, in that podcast, those unsets, have they behave differently. They, they, they don't drop off. They keep a certain price. And the reason why is because the experience of drafting the unset is unlike any other magic experience. So you can't just go buy a box of, oh, let's draft this instead of that. If you want to draft something like an unset, you have to buy an unset, and there's only three of them now. And so, uh, you know, viability in cubes, viability in battle boxes, casual appeal, you know, um, collector collectability, right? People like collecting these sets for the jokes and stuff like that. All of that whole echelon of players, which constructed players are just ignoring, uh, those people bring financial viability to those sets, in my opinion. And this is all my opinion. I mean, who am I, right? Who cares? But, <laughs> but you know, if you're asking me, I'll tell you what I think, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that, that many of our listeners are like investment uh, people, but what, what's a better, just out of curiosity, what, what's a better buy, uh, iconic or unstable for those that might, might be curious about that type of question? 
Uh, I still think it's iconic because unstable is, uh, you know, it's right. It's priced where it should be priced. You know, it's kind of coming out uh, even like you can see some of the pre-sales and stuff are a little bit higher than they should be. You know, if you want to buy a foil Urza, it's like $80 or something like that. Um, so this is like the normal kind of release cycle. The iconic master stuff is depressed, right? That stuff is lower than it should be. So you can at least expect, you know, with like with unstable, you're gambling, right? Because you're thinking, <laughs> you're thinking, oh well, maybe it'll go up from here. With with iconic masters, I don't think it's a gamble. It's just like, you know, uh, this stuff is not priced right. It's it's gonna it's gonna raise because of, you know, naturally, it's it's like panic mode right now. So, you know, it's fire sale time. I mean, look at the here's a good here's a good example to look at. If you look at the prices of iconic master singles versus their other counterparts. So, like, look at the future site, like Magus of the Moon or the Dark Steel Ether Vial versus the Iconic Masters. And if those prices are holding, then why is the Iconic Masters going to be so much cheaper? It's not going to be cheaper. It's going to come right back up to meet those other prices. If you start seeing those prices fall, then you have to question, okay, the, the actual printing of the set is dragging those prices down. But it hasn't drug, it hasn't you know, drug those down yet, as far as I can tell. And I've been looking at it over the last couple of weeks, but I mean, I haven't been like studying it. I could be wrong, but I've seen, you know, those prices hold. And so, you know, if those are holding, then these are going to come up immediately and you're going to make all that, that difference there. Right. And, and even if you're not trying to invest, like, Hey, if you want stuff for your decks, right? Like if you need, uh, you know, ancestral visions, if you need cryptic commands, swords to plowshares, you know, lightning helixes, Bobbles, bobbles are like three dollars right now. Just go get those for the iconic masters, you know, and and get them now. Trade for them, buy them, because that stuff is all going to go back up. And then you're going to be like, dude, why didn't I buy bobbles when they're like three bucks? Now they're ten dollars again, you know, or whatever. I don't know if they're going to be ten dollars. I mean, come on, but it's not uncommon, you know. But uh, but I'm just saying, you know, it could happen. Stranger things have happened, man. I mean, I. I imagine Inquisition is so expensive. Uh, Inquisition is like three dollars if I if Whoa. I if I know uh, correctly. Ooh. But but that's another one to me. Like if they if they don't keep printing that, that's gonna be that's gonna be more than three dollars. That sees almost more play than Thought sees, I think. Like it, I'm just you know hey hey guys, I'm still <laughs> kind of in retirement, so you know, if I'm wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that sees more play than Thought sees. I know it's like an uncommon, but still, like in eternal formats, it sees play, like I don't think it should be $3, you know? Uh, I don't think Abrupt Decay should be $3. So, you know, any $3 up for Abrupt Decay or something, you should pick that stuff up for your deck now, you know? <laughs> Are there any other questions, or did did I answer all your questions? I, I think you answered all the questions, and then Jeff Bugenhagen uh, added that he was offered 500 USD for a box of unglued. So, whoo, dog! Yeah, is that Jeff? Jeff was actually Jeff uh, agreed with me on the uh, iconic master stuff. I think he knows the stuff. He seems to be like he seems to be like in it. You know, I'm not super in it. I mean, I'm like dabbling. You know, but uh, he seems to be very. Uh, very conscious of what's going on. So yeah, Liliana, you mentioned Liliana of the Veil. Another example dropped to fifty when MM three came out, and now it's back up to ninety. So we're, we're going to see this likely see this type of effect that you're talking about because it's it's shown to be the case in, in, in history, and it makes sense because these modern is super popular, and and everyone Death Shadow's the hottest deck, 
And if you want, want to play that deck, you need a bunch of bottles. Man, I got to say, that deck makes me ill. The Grixis Shadow deck. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but like I was playing Company for a minute and I played it against this uh, Shadow deck. And it's like the worst matchup ever, uh, in my opinion. Maybe I just suck at playing, but like their Inquisitions pick everything out of your hand because your Company deck, so everything's under three. You know, they're, they're, they could fatal push every one of your threats and they have Snapcaster Mage to just rebuy that stuff over and over again. So, like, I was watching it on the SCG uh, Envy, and I was watching them play that matchup, like, Collected Company versus, uh, you know, Grixis Shadow. Oh, man, I just felt like puking, because it was like, you think that guy might have a chance, and then he just gets totally blown out, you know? It's the worst. Yeah, I hate that that deck. I I think it's obnoxious, you know? I actually don't know. I want to correct myself. I don't know if they're playing Bobbles anymore because I don't think the Grixis version needed no. that. But like the John, like the Traverse version, obviously needed to play that to try to get mm-hmm. the artifact in the graveyard. Um, so I'm not sure if Bobbles gonna s- surge up again. But I think it. Well, they went up so high because it was just in Cold Snap, right? Which was a really underprinted set. Like Cold Snap was before like the new era of Magic. So, like, there wasn't that many Magic players when Cold Snap was around, or not as many as now. And so, Cold Snap was, was, they had that going, and it was like a small print set. And so, you know, an, an Uncommon in Cold Snap could go up that high. But no way an Uncommon in a new set could, could do that. No way. <laughs> no way. No way. I mean, look at Fatal Push, right? It's, like, universally awesome, and it's only $7, you know? So, I mean... I, I was going to do an episode with you uh, to talk about your role at Puka Trade, but uh, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of, this is just extra content though. So uh, I don't know if we, we can have you plug anything in a short period of time here. Uh, yeah, still- I don't know. The Puka Trade conversation is going to, that takes a long time. Yeah, right? that's and, and, <laughs> yeah, because like people will have questions and, you know, I mean, there's so much hate for Puka Trade that we need to, we need to have a talk, you know? Um, but yeah, I am content manager for Puka Trade, and uh, I'm also a uh, strategist and, a, and an advisor for the Puka team. And so, you know, I have a lot of inside information. I've seen a lot of stuff unfold with the Puka Trade stuff. And, you know, I'm willing to talk about any of that. But I think that's like, I mean... You know what I'm surprised about? That you haven't been like... Fingers crossed, the target of aggressive YouTube uh, video, hate videos. Why would I be, though? You know, <laughs> what, what is that? Like, I'm working to help Puka Trade and by, by proxy help people who are stuck in Puka Trade. You know, why, do, why does anyone want to hate on me? You know, I'm trying to help, man. You know? I mean, if you want to hate on me and give me more followers, that's fine. You know, I got, a, I got a game coming out soon, so, you know, <laughs> I need more followers to plug that, you know? <laughs> this um, game sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it could. It could. I don't know. I'm still trying to get feedback. Uh, actually, 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 we'll wrap the show with this. Like, plug, plug your game, The Big Dig. Okay, so, hey, guys. Uh, one of the new things that I've been working on is doing game design. And uh, the, I'm working on a bunch of projects, okay? I'm working on a Bible card game. And uh, that's like, a, it's like a strategy King of the Hill Bible battle card game, I guess you can call it, if Bible and battle go together. Um, but that's like a super ambitious project. It's like, I want to do like real fantasy art, hiring like magic artists and stuff like that. And that's like big time money. So in order to get my feet wet, in order to kind of um, 
learned the process, I made a new game. And that game is, am I still, I'm still good, right? Okay. And that game is called The Big Dig. It's an archaeology adventure game. It's kind of like a deck builder where you use hidden information on the board and you're digging through these piles looking for artifacts and, and tools and stuff to help you, uh, you know, get these artifacts and, and then win the game, you know. And you play it against other people, so it's a, a little bit of a race. Um, there's some interaction where you can, like, you know, destroy their artifact, you know, shatter their, you know. No, I'm just joking, not shatter, but you, you guys get the point. Um, so I'm making this game. Uh, right now it's in uh, blind playtesting, which means you can download files, look at the game, play it. There's no art yet but uh but durfington is working on the art i don't know did you so I did yeah i know that i did not know, you that. Did not know that okay so durfington <laughs> is my artist for this game and i'm hyped man so he's gonna be doing all of the art and he's been sending me sketches and stuff looks great um i can't wait to really see it come to life uh we got a logo right now we're in blind play testing if you want to see those files just go to playthebigdig.com if you go to playthebigdig.com, you can learn more about the game. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can look at the files. Send me feedback. If it sucks, tell me it sucks, man. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I want to know because I want to make a good game, dude. I don't want my ego to be stroked, you know. I'm trying to make a good game here. So um, uh, people are playtesting it. I have a lot of work to do from the development side. I'm still trying to tweak out some things. But, yeah, I want to plug that, um, you know. There it is. I don't know. Playthebigdig.com. Playthebigdig.com. Yeah. Sweet, sweet. Looking forward to that. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing, man? <laughs> it's not like, we, we talked about strategy, and uh, I just, like, it just flashed back recently. One of your la- last videos on your YouTube channel was, like, how you realize that pro- people probably don't care about your video blogs about your progress. <laughs> Nobody cares about that stuff. You know, I, I try to like, I'm trying to learn the YouTube thing, you know, uh, where you do these vlogs, like, like you said, Travis Wu, you mentioned him earlier. And, uh, you know, um, he, you know, he does this like vlog style YouTube thing. I don't know what he does. He has like, he's like riding his bike while he's like talking into his phone or something. But man, he's got so many followers. And I, I, there's just a place for that. But so I try to do a little vlog style where I was driving and it was just, I don't know, like while I'm talking, I'm just thinking to myself over and over again, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> like you don't even care. Like, why are you talking into this camera? And so I don't know, man. <laughs> so, so probably n- not a lot of YouTube videos on the, on the, on the f- forefront, but you know. Um, well, you know, I, I've plugged this guy a bunch of times with the big social, one of the big social media guys, um, in the world, Gary Vaynerchuk, like yeah. he preaches document over create. That's one of his taglines. But honestly, for some people, that's, that's just not true. People just don't care what you document. That, that's just it. They just don't give a crap. Um, and, and Travis, you're right. He has this audience where like recently he just has a static image, right? A, a, uh-huh. Okay, maybe I'm the only one that's that's willing to jump in the YouTube fray here, but he just has a <laughs> static image of a picture and it's just him rambling and ranting or discussing a topic for like five minutes. And there's just a lot of likes, a lot of comments. So his audience really digs uh, his way of talking and his thoughts. So they really dig it. Right? They, <laughs> they dig it. They dig it. Play the big dig.com. No, no, but you know, the thing is, is that, 
he has a personality for that, you know? And I think that that, that is the, the magnetism that he brings, you know, to that personality. And for me, like, I'm kind of lost in this place, you know? People cared in the magic community about me when I was doing finance because they thought I could save them money. But, like, when I'm just a duder, nobody cares, you know what I mean? Like, there's, nobody is following this adventure that I'm on except for myself, you know? And so, and, and you know what, I don't want to say nobody because there are a handful of people who like are like, go Jonathan, I want to see this happen. And I really appreciate those people. So, you know, not to downplay that, but what I'm trying to say is like, you know, I don't know, you sometimes you get caught up in your own, you know, your own image or whatever. Like when I had a bunch of Twitter followers, you know, I thought, oh yeah, man, these people, I thought those people liked me for me as a person, you know, I know it was silly, right? But <laughs> They did it. It was because I could give them finance advice, you know? <laughs> so it's like, oh, that was a that was a rude awakening. And it wasn't all of them, obviously. Like, there's still guys who I love and, and who still follow me and stuff like that. And not saying everyone should follow me or, you know, give me pity follows or whatever. <laughs> I'm just telling you a realization that I had, you know? <laughs> rude awakening. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's... I don't, yeah, there's, it's just tough. Like, uh, there's a bunch of friends of mine that, that have chat, tried uh, the vlogging thing, and it's just tough to find that that niche and that audience that are, is, you know, it is a challenge. Travis has that. Um, I'm sure, like, if you did MTG Finance videos, somehow you would have that. Um, just like Talarian Academy just built off his, like, his empire. He's, like, number one, right? Um, yeah. Off of just reviewing good, well-produced review videos of, of products. and. His video, like, I used to check that out when, like, new sleeves came out. I wanted to know what the professor actually thought versus the previous sleeve. Is this an A plus or an A? So content <laughs> that I actually actively went to uh, Google for sometimes. So, you know, if I could give a shout out to a content producer, oh, no. the command zone, man. Oh, man, no. Oh, man. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Those guys are killing it, man. <laughs> if you guys are not watching the command zone, you're doing it wrong. Like, I don't even care if you play commander or not. Like, these guys have such good content, such good magic content. It's almost as good as First Strike. It's pretty close. I mean, not as good as First Strike, but it's pretty close, you know. Um, <laughs> but I think that's the thing about KYT. He, you know, he's able to build an audience. Uh, he's a community builder. And I like to call him the visionary because I think he sees things that are needed in the community. He goes and fills that role, and he does it well. And so that's why he has a, he has a user not a user base, but a, a family or a tribe that follows him around. And I, I, I admire that. I think uh, I like that about KYT. Oh, I just said, oh, no, because I, I know how hyped you are about the Command Zone guys. And, and you know, those are sweet guys for sure. <laughs> I like some of their video, like the video they've done, they're, they're second to none. I, I agree with that. Their content, their video content and uh, their podcast, stuff like that. And, and if, you don't, if you don't play Commander, okay, so watching them talk about Commander for an hour, probably not your thing, but watch the Game Nights videos because that's them playing Magic, sometimes, most of the time Commander, but sometimes like Sealed or stuff like that. And man, it's so well produced. It's like, it's really good. It is really good stuff. It makes, it, it makes you go like, why am I vlogging in my car? <laughs> yeah, like, like, I, I just gave up, man. I watched the commands and I'm like, forget about it. I'm never going to be that good. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I'll just end the show because we could go on forever. But uh, thank you so much for coming on, John. I hope people uh, 
our listeners and uh, people in our nation appreciate the financial content. We've never had that since the debut of the show. Shout out for, to Aaron, Jeff, and Justin for sticking around so long. And uh, if you enjoyed the content, everything that we brought here from standard content, modern, bit of limited, and financial here, just give the video a thumbs up. And we'll see you Monday, hopefully, with the regular cast or most of them. So see you guys next Monday. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Alrighty. First strike for life. <laughs> First strike for life. Bye, guys. <laughs>